Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up and welcome to Believe in High School Basketball. I am your host, Bryce Ronquillo. So thankful, so grateful to be on air. Thank you for joining me. Believe in High School Basketball is proud to be a part of the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals and the number one network in Los Angeles for sports podcasts. Let's get it. Episode 21 coming your way. But before we start the show, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, wherever you stream your shows so you can be notified whenever I drop a new pod. Also, leave a review as well, rate five stars, and let me know your thoughts on the show, good or bad. I want to hear them. We are back, baby. Had to take a little break from podcasting for a bit. I missed you guys. I missed being on the mic. But here I am, grateful to be back and ready to give you all some more content. I had to come out strong for the first episode being back. You already know, so... I got you guys, one of the most prominent figures in grassroots of all time, founder and camp director of Pango's All-American Camp, director and head coach of Belmont Shore, publisher and editor of FullCourtPress.net. I think I got all his titles, Dino's Trigonas. Very excited for y'all to hear this one. We had a great conversation. And so we got Dino's this week. Uh, next week, I'm um, going to give you guys an interview I did with Deshaun Harris uh, a while back, but it's it's still a really good conversation, really good podcast, so I want you guys to be able to hear that one. And um, I got some good guests coming up. I'm really excited to to be back here and, and really talk some high school hoops, uh, especially with a lot of the championships going down in, in SoCal at the moment. And uh, we covered a lot in this convo, me and Dinos, uh, most notably how he's navigated running his events during COVID um, and how this pandemic year has affected a lot of players uh, with the eligibility, the extra year college uh, players are getting, the transfer portal, all of that, and how that affects current high school players. And also the legendary story of how he brought LeBron James to SoCal when he was in high school to play a game on national TV. Uh, You guys won't want to miss it. We even talked some NBA. We talked about Trey Young and what Dino saw in him when he was young playing in his camps. And this was recorded before the Hawks won the the, um, advance to the Eastern Finals. So you you guys uh, just, just keep that in mind. But hey, without further ado, here's Dino's answering my question that I posed him on what are the challenges he has faced during COVID. Enjoy. Obviously, there was a need to be creative. So, um, and to try to salvage, you know, whatever we could out of the situation possible. So, yeah, I think the people that were able to do that, be creative, um, uh, salvage what they could from what they had, I think he ended up having some type of um, impact on the grassroots scenes. I think smaller was probably more effective based upon the ability to maneuver and to operate 
Um, I think some of the bigger entities had a little more problems because of the nature of how COVID um, had a harder time existing with big crowds and big, you know, fields of teams and people. So I think that the smaller and more creative uh, was pro- was probably the more effective approach. And but it, but but nonetheless, it was challenging for everybody involved. Does that kind of remind you, like you know? Maybe when you were first getting started with this, you know, we're going back to smaller gyms, not a lot of teams, but those more like kind of intimate settings. But, you know, does that kind of bring you back a little? Yeah, you, you could say that, you know, you know, obviously when, when I first started doing, doing tournaments, uh, the first real facility I used was Long Beach City College. And we had the main gym and we had right across the uh, courtyard there, the walkway alleyway so to speak was an auxiliary gym and we used like you know either one court or two courts at a time and uh, that was way back when you know paul pierce was still a freshman or sophomore in high school so um i remember those days fairly well and, and um uh, it was actually good because there was a lot of quality because at the end of the day sometimes we get caught up in the quantity but the quality is always the important thing not the quantity that's that's so important you know just to have good quality basketball especially now when it's like you i think kids learn and i think a lot of people learn in an instant there could be no more basketball like you can just be confined to your home in an instant and so i think that just gave people a, an appreciation for just being able to get out on a court wherever it could be you know yeah some states were a little bit easier to deal with others Restriction-wise, and that obviously made a big difference in being able to um, um, have events at, at those locations. But I think as the things expanded, um, there were also areas, especially here in California, that um, they were running kind of bootlegged operations. And even though I think California might have been a little slower than they needed to be opening up, there were all there was also issues that were raised with, with respect to that. You know, things way beyond basketball. More like, you know, what type of society do we want to live in? You know, we live in a democratic society, republic society, and if there's no regard for the rules in place, if people can make their own rules or follow whatever rules they like and not follow other ones, what type of society are we living in? And what are we teaching our kids, our players, that they're somehow not uh, uh, supposed to abide by the rules everybody else is supposed to abide by? So I had you know, several discussions with coaches about that here in California where you had events happening that were not permitted, for lack of a better word. And I think it was a sent a bad mess, even though I, I uh, disagreed with the fact they were not permitted. We still had restrictions on the books that were given pursuant to a lawful authority, people that were elected by us that had that power. And we could argue and debate the merits of what was restricted and what was not. That's, that's a different scenario. But until they were changed... You know, we have to have to have a conversation. What are we teaching our players 
you know, if you, you were, if we were here in California and we're seeing crowds in Texas and Florida and, you know, and Georgia and we, and kids playing and here, kids couldn't play legally or, or, you know, in a permissible way. And, um, it was just, you know, like I said before, early on, it was a challenging year for a lot of different reasons. I think we were over the hump now. I think California just opened up completely. Yeah. And I'm seeing a lot uh, of people in restaurants and bars and, and, and elsewhere, clubs that have no mask on. So I think we're on the on the path. I think we're 70 percent vaccinated um, in California for what I've been what I've been able to learn. And, and I think that's a good thing. And hopefully the rest of the country gets on board so we can we can um, keep making progress to getting you know, back to normal and. And I uh, just saw something on the news earlier today that the Angels game tonight will be at full capacity yep. for the first time since COVID. Yeah, last so night's Dodger game definitely was made full, some progress. Full as well. and, and like I said, the key, the key thing is, like anything else, it was also like a learning lesson for a lot of people. And like you said, not to take things for granted, to understand that, that often quality is better than quantity and that we have to um, – have to uh, – understand when it comes to basketball what exactly are we doing here as far as the college recruiting exposure model platform Mm. we have all these teams playing all these players playing and we have a numbers game that works against the average person now what you're seeing too with the latest ncaa rule changes where the transfer portal has become more popular than the recruiting trail yeah and you have the older players now more valued than younger players. People want to get older. I hear that a lot from college coaches mm-hmm. and college coaching staff. They want to get older, meaning they'd rather go to the portal, find some guy with some college experience that's 21, 22, and then get an 18-year-old kid. Yeah, you no have to develop experience. them, and you know. So, so there's a, a lot of different, you know. Yeah, I, I want to talk now. about that a little, actually, Dinos, because you 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 run NCAA certified events, and and that's you know that's something that you've been doing for a while now. So, what would be something you would uh, advise for the kids that are playing in your events and events across the country? You know, knowing that you know colleges are looking now more towards the transfer portal more towards the older players. I would think kids now would should be even more motivated to refine their skills, um, to stand out, to, you know, make sure attitude on the court is, you know, exceptional above all else because now they're competing against 21 and 22-year-olds where college coaches may look towards to get a player rather than coming to, to recruit them. So what would something you'd be telling these kids? Well, I think we also had to cut. You also had got to throw in there the, the the one year deal with the COVID extra year extension for mm-hmm. all these players. Yeah, which I heard a lot of unsigned seniors this year. Now, after this year, that'll be off the books, and it'll create the normal clearance for for openings that for unsigned seniors and other people. So that's going to help a little bit, but you're right in the sense that we're we're going through a different era here, where the value is now on the transfer portal versus the non top 100, top 150 player. 
and that's 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 where I think a lot of these kids are going to be disappointed. There's been a lot of casualties this this spring and early summer already of guys that should be off the board. They're still there, and they're also you know for every casualty, there's a benefit to somebody, and you might see mm-hmm. a resurgence in the JUCOs. Yeah, the junior college may be the recipient of the benefit of that of getting back to to the 80s and 90s where the junior colleges had players, um, high major players. Normally, recently, very rarely did you have a high major player at a California JUCO. Yeah, maybe like one or two a season. Maybe. You might see more of that, yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's like as one thing changes, then someone else might benefit. Who knows, maybe some D2s. Uh, my benefit from that as well, you know, I, I was at Azusa Pacific for for a while, so I'm sure they're, you know, chomping at the bit, seeing guys that haven't signed with uh, um, any D1s yet. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure that. Uh, Actually, I had a conversation, Bryce, with a, with a load of mid-major, a couple of load of mid-major coaches. I told them that this might be an opportunity for them as they're also knee-deep in the, in the portal. Mm-hmm. There might be some guys that are good enough for high majors that don't go high majors. You might be able to, you know, steal one or steals, two right yeah. now. Late. Although it creates another problem later on because then, then again, then all of a sudden you have to keep recruiting that player once he gets to campus because he could transfer yeah. once, once he puts up numbers. <laughs> so I think that's part of the danger here. And it'll be very, very interesting how – the NCAA, the NABC now with their new uh, leader, Craig Robinson, former Oregon State head coach and, and brother of Michelle Obama, mm. um, Barack Obama's uh, brother-in-law, how they go about creating some type of fairness because you're going to be seeing guys being recruited up in layup lines. You have guys, you know, high majors scheduling mid-major schools and a guy goes, guy mid major guy could go for thirty on, on a on a high major, and they could be offered scholarship <laughs> in the, the post game handshake. You it's, know what I mean? Yeah, so no, it's, it's crazy. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be crazy, man. Yeah, definitely. I, I like to go back a little more to to the beginning of of where you started. How, how did you start working in in grassroots and getting started with you know this company now that you've built? Well, actually, the way it happened is I, I played uh, high school basketball at Long Beach Wilson, and we had some good players there, one of which was a guy named Don Broach, who was a couple years younger than me, 6'5", uh, athletic um, swing man that was good enough to play in the Big Ten. He, played, he picked uh, Northwestern over uh, over uh, Purdue and, and – um, Oregon and then Rhode Island at that point. They wrote Tom Penders was at Rhode Island back then in the eighties and, and um two legendary guys basically were the face of grassroots back then. Eighties in the nineties, uh early to mid nineties you had um Izzy, the late Izzy Washington from Slam mm-hmm. and Jam, who had the league in the spring uh, and then he had a very, very popular national tournament called the NIT, Sam and Jam NIT. And they used to be held headquartered at um, 
Long Beach State. They used the, they used the old gyms back then before the pyramid was built. Yeah, yeah. They used the, um, the East and West Campus gyms. They used surrounding high schools. And that was a big deal. You know, we had a lot of national teams. You had New York teams and Detroit teams and and um, um, Texas teams. You know, Kenyon Martin came out one time with Texas Blue Chips, and um, uh, it was good. It was it was one of the top handful of tournaments in the country. And then and then and Rich Goldberg is still alive. Did a lot of the ARC stuff, and there was a. Uh, one tournament he did together with Izzy in Vegas every summer. So that's how the day, but there wasn't a lot of other things. And when I first started doing it, um, we had the, the, for the first time at that point, the opening of the, of the fall live period, like a month of live period in the fall. And that was an opening that I kind of, I kind of, um, slid into with a, with a fall tournament and some other events. And that's my first college event was in the fall, believe it or not, September Long Beach fall hoops classic with at Long Beach city college with uh, Paul Pierce as a sophomore. You know, we, you know, we had several other good players in that. And we had a lot of coaches, Rick Majerus of Kansas yeah, was, was there. UCLA, USC, Baron Davis played in it. Chris Burgess, Eric Chenoweth, uh, Bill Walton's kids. Um, so I kind of, I didn't really, and then the pumps were, were relevant too there, but they were just starting to get entrenched. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of filled some different voids in the calendar. I didn't compete with those guys directly because they were very well established and had very, very good events quality wise. But look on back looking back on it, we we didn't have the the technology we we had now. We didn't have the internet. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the the way to to communicate with people. Give you an example, the way you found out the schedule for the NIT, you either called Izzy or you got you got the schedule that was mailed from his house to you. <laughs> or you woke up and you picked up a copy of the Long Beach Press Telegram, and Frank Burleson would put the schedule in the in the paper. <laughs> so, so if you Much were different a fan, time off. <laughs> if you were a if you were a fan, this is this is about ninety three to ninety seven in there. If you were a fan back then, you'd have to get a copy of the Press Telegram. You'd have to, if you were in L.A., you'd have to drive to like Paramount or Compton or Carson. Uh, the, on the outer extreme of the, of the Long Beach Press Telegram, and get a copy of of the paper to get the schedule, or call somebody. Obviously, um, it was it was obviously the technology was different. People were using you know the way way somebody like myself or Ryan Silver would send information to coaches for an event. Now we do email, we do direct message, we do social media. Back then, we would spend all night faxing people the schedule. <laughs> you know, you'd be all, you'd be up all night faxing every college fax machine the schedule one by one. And one of the very first, if not the first, 
uh, college coach that, that I met directly was the guy who was at that time working for Kevin O'Neill at Marquette. I happened to be sending out information on my events about players that played in it. And he would get my faxes. And they would be working up late, 2 o'clock in the morning. One day night, he called me late. And, you know, Lawrence Frank, who's the GM of the Clippers now, was an assistant back mm -hmm. then for Kevin O'Neill and, and, uh, and Marquette. And uh, he was really one of the very first coaches I had a chance to, to meet and build a relationship with. And um, yeah, things have really evolved a lot. And in the late 90s, we had uh, the Internet came. Uh, it took us a while to get used to it. A lot of the older guys uh, didn't really know what it was, who it was. Mm -hmm. So we keep um, progressing and evolving. And, and But the technology has definitely um, increased, and the people that have been able to keep out in front of it mm -hmm. have uh, been able to take advantage and um, but it, I've been kind of, yeah, I was kind of there at, at the cusp of the old school way and then the new school way. So I'm kind of, yeah, a that's, that's I'm pretty cool. Straddling the, the fence, so to speak. So that's pretty cool that you've been able to, to witness all of that happen all at once. And you, you've been a part of some major basketball grassroots history, probably most notably you famously brought. LeBron James and his St. Vincent, St. Mary's team packed Pauley Pavilion to play Gary McKnight's modern day team. Just tell me, Dinos, what was it like to be able to accomplish that? And that, that's something people still talk about till this day. Yeah, that was an interesting scenario because I had, um, believe it or not, coached against LeBron James back at the end of his freshman year going into a sophomore year he had um uh, jumped on um team he, he had jumped on the oakland soldiers yeah. team uh is that him and uh kendrick summer. perkins yeah um uh, it was uh what's his name um india baka leon poe and um i think what ended up happening was at that time the cal coach ben braun was was friends with his high school coach at the time, Keith Dambrot, who I believe is at Duquesne now. He was at Akron University and now at Duquesne. But they had coached together, and and obviously he was a very good player at the time, but people didn't realize he was going to be that good. So he was a high major player that Braun was trying to get an in on. So I think he kind of used that connection to get him on a local team to get them to campus. Because back then you could, the, 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 it was a tournament called the Elite Eight that the soldiers used to put on. It was on, on the campus of Cal Berkeley at their new rec center. They had three or four courts in the rec center, brand new center at, at that time. And um, he was put on that team, I think, for a recruiting, obviously, uh, advantage. I don't think the soldiers had no idea who he, who he was. They put him on their second team. He was actually on their second team with Le the younger team. LeBron was on the with second Leon team. Poe, huh? Indy Obaka were good players. And and um, I don't think he started on that team, believe it or not. 
And I had a team with Dijon Thompson who played at UCLA in the NBA a little bit. Kirk Snyder went to Nevada in the NBA. Cody Pearson, who went to Long Beach State, Harrison Shane. And we were beating the hell out of them the first half. And then the uh, second half, he started playing more. And all I remember was a guy that reminded me a lot of Paul Pierce. Mm-hmm. He was getting hammered, making shots, falling down, making shots, falling out of bounds, and one. You know, making some incredible acrobatic shots. They came back and they beat us. And I had obviously knew the rest of the guys on on that soldier team because they're you know California kids. Mm-hmm. At that time, I didn't know who this guy was. All I knew was LeBron. And I said, I never heard of a LeBron. That's the first time I heard of the name LeBron, period. <laughs> and they, they found out he wasn't from California. He was from Ohio. So, obviously, that you know, he went up there, and that was the connection to the California scenario. And um, uh, fast forward, you know, he, had, he blew up the next year. He had the article in Sports Illustrated around – February of 2000 and 2002, I believe. Um, he had a memorable ABCD camp where he had bested um, famous, um, what's his name? Had the documentary just came oh, out. Oh, yeah. The guy that was and ranked Lenny ahead Cook. of him. Yeah, yeah, Lenny Cook. No, he there was a year go. older, but he was the number one player in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lenny Cook. And Lenny and... Um, Kind of out, not outplayed him, kind of dominated him. That's when the, that's when the, his his stature went to a whole different level. And then I was doing some research on teams to bring, and came across him there the the Akron Beacon Journal, which is the local paper there in his hometown of Akron. They were obviously mesmerized by him and the attention he was getting. So I heard some video, uh, video audio clips from reporters with him, news conferences, and he reminded me a lot of of Muhammad Ali. His tone, the way he answered questions, his poise in front of the microphone. It reminded me of a young Muhammad Ali. So I was trying to. We had uh, had a really good number of. Cream Classics in the late 90s. And we had, a, I think, one or two subpar ones the year or two before he came. So I was thinking about, hey, well, how do we think it's time to kind of, you know, up the ante here and kind of get it back to where it was. And so I, I, I figured, hey, I'll go ahead and explore this avenue. I was Chris Rivers, who I was friends with, Adidas, Sonny Vicaro that I knew got a hold of them and he connected me to the high school coach. And, um, I, I was also aware of something that really helped my cause tremendously too. So I, I also known that they were in eighth grade. People don't know this story. A lot of people don't that LeBron James and that team, I think it was called the Northeast Ohio stars. I could be wrong the exact name of it, had lost in the 14 and under AAU national title game to SCA. Oh, wow. That had 
Westies, uh, Washington, Harris and Shane, two guys that were currently playing on my Belmont short team that played at modern day. And there was two other guys on that team that played at modern day. So four of the guys on the SGA team played at modern day now at that time. And there was four or five on the, Drew Joyce's Northeast Stars team that were playing at St. Vincent, St. Mary's. So when I presented them, not just with the matchup with modern day, knowing that it was for him, the coach, that is, he, he viewed it as a potential rematch and revenge. Yeah. You follow me? <laughs> my rumor has it that a guy named Mark Bradford, you may not know who that is, who went to Fremont, who was who played football and, and basketball, but played primarily football at Stanford. I think he might have been, been in the NFL for a cup of coffee. <laughs> it might have, I think, blocked LeBron's shot at the end to win the game, to preserve the game. So they were always kind of bitter about that. So the, for, for the coach and for the team, it, re, it, it represented a rematch and a revenge opportunity, and they jumped at it. With I mean, it was not a hard sell at that point. And then you throw in the UCLA Poly Pavilion, you throw in everything else, and they were, you know, chomping at the bit. So then, you know, McKnight agreed to it. The game, as you know, was on ESPN2. Mm-hmm. And it was not set to be televised until, like, the month before. We had shopped it to Fox. They didn't want to do it. They turned it down. Other people turned it down. And I had been visiting factories in... South Korea, I was exploring making a shoe at the time. And I was doing some research and visiting some factories. And if you remember, there was a previous earlier game from St. Vincent, St. Mary's on ESPN2 that year, early December, from Cleveland State, Oak Hill versus LeBron yes. mm-hmm. at St. Vincent, St. Mary's. And ESPN2 at that point had only been on, on the air for maybe two or three years. And then I remember waking up at, at a hotel, the Westin Hotel in Busan, South Korea, which is the second biggest city, of the, it's like a port town, South Korea, on the southern part of South Korea. And picking up, going to breakfast and seeing a USA Today there. And picking up the sports section. And that game, I didn't, I didn't see it because I was not in the U.S. at the time. Drew, like a, the number two highest rated game, you know, content <laughs> affair on ESPN2 at that time, behind only like a Dale Earnhardt race. So the interest in him as being the next NBA superstar legend was building. Mm-hmm. So when I get home a couple of days later, back then again, we were out, we, most people, ha, most people now don't even have home phones. Not, and then back then, not only did you have a home phone or you had a landline, you had probably a landline connected to an answering machine. Right. <laughs> so I come back home and I press play and on the voicemail is, is Burke Magnus, who's still at ESPN, vice president of programming. 
he might be a senior president program by now. But that's the message. I think Dick Vitale had given given him my number. I had got to know Dick Vitale over the years, and he had my contact information. He had given him my number, and they wanted to talk about doing the modern day game at UCLA. So that's how that whole thing ended up happening. We got it on ESPN. It was one of the two games that the ESPN t- uh, televised that year, and um, you know it was kind of a, it was kind of a eventful weekend. You know, obviously a lot of interest in the game. It was it was kind of even back then there was no social media. I can only imagine now if social media was around. Oh my gosh, it would be insane. How much even bigger it would have been. It was already, but it showed you also before social media, there were crowds and ways people got information, word of mouth. You know, telephone calls, emails were going back, messages. Um, um, it probably would have been equivalent to like the like Zion playing against like uh, big ballers. It probably would have been equivalent to something like that. But I would yeah, think even, even bigger. Even that, I think most of the people, even in that situation, were people that were already at the tournament. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of non-basketball fans or guys going to high school games for the first time. There were people, you know, for 12,500, 13,000 people in UCLA, that was the biggest regular season crowd in California for a game in, in decades. And probably hasn't, the closest thing that's even come close to that was a Final Four playoff game with the, semifinals at USC, and even then right. it was about 10,000. Yeah, it was yeah. more, still more fans than that. And to get to that level... It's like even then it wouldn't be... It we're talking compare. about guys who are not typical high school fans. There was a buzz around the country and a buzz created by ESPN, too, because ESPN, I think, had just been televising NBA for the first time. So they obviously had an incentive and an interest in creating a, a a brand in LeBron to help with their future telecast, and you got a lot of guys who typically never went, had never been to a high school game, or hadn't been there in a long time that showed up for that. And one of which was Phil Knight. Mm. I don't remember Phil Knight ever been going to a high school game for years. He was at the game. Sonny Vicar was at the game. Um, you had. Um, most, if not the whole NBA. That's crazy, Dinos. That's crazy. <laughs> and it was almost like uh, um, paralysis. I couldn't move without the phone ringing. You know, what we, I remember being, and then you had, you know, uh, George, Jaleel Urko, who was a big UCLA fan at the game, Dustin Hoffman, Denzel Washington, um, guys requesting tickets. And you also had a scenarios where you had up and coming stars that, I'm pretty in tune to what's going on with the youth, but at that time I didn't know his name. But we're in the van going to Manhattan. They wanted to go to the beach, so I I take take it. We had a van, I had a limo and a van, and I was using to take him around. And we're driving, and I'm getting a call from somebody's publicist. And I'm driving. The kids are in the back. LeBron's riding shotgun. This lady goes, "Well, I'm the publicist for." Recording artist, rapper, 50 Cent. He'd like to know if he can get tickets <laughs> for the game tonight. 
And that was the first time I'd heard 50 Cent's name. I said, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm being inundated with calls. I have no disrespect. <laughs> I have no idea who 50 Cent is. I don't know 50 Cent from 50 Dimes. <laughs> I told uh, the lady. You turned and down 50 Cent from your I, game. That's, that's I, hilarious. I get, I get a nudge, I get a nudge <laughs> from LeBron. Say, hey, man, 50. 50, that's my dude. I said, ma'am, on, on the other hand, tell 50 he's got two tickets waiting for him at Wilco. See you there. <laughs> oh, man. You almost turned down 50 cent. LeBron had to make sure he got in. That's that's too funny. That is too funny. Oh, man, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of memories and a lot more other stories. They'll probably be in a book someday. That is uh that's too great. And I, I'll be the first one to pre-order that book when it uh when it's finished. But uh man, that that's too great. And that and that's the stuff that you know follows those are the type of stories, like you say, you just can't you can't replicate that. You know, not even the day's, you know, context. And, you, and it's funny because, you know, Bronny, his son, is is getting that kind of following, you know, with Sierra Canyon games. Um, obviously, it's way different now. Like you said, social media changed everything. But um, his son is kind of getting that sort of fame at a very young age. Yeah, but the problem now, Bryce, with social media isn't the fact that there's publicity. There's always been publicity. But there's publicity from people that have not been trained with the protocols mm. and the ethics and the customs of traditional journalism. That's heavy how stuff. How important it is to be accurate, <laughs> how important it is to be fair. And it's almost like uh, LeBron, like, like, like for two years ago, you'd have um, uh, B.J. Boston score 25, Zaire would score 24, and the headline would be Bronny, who had four. Yep. And Bronny James leads Sierra Canyon because they're thirsty for the click. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not, That's what not, it is. They're not interested in giving the reader the truth yeah. or giving him an accurate account of what happened or didn't happen. They're infatuated with the celebrity status of a person just so they can get attention, whether that means hits, clicks, views, you know, et cetera. And I'm not quite sure if that's healthy for us as a community, basketball community, uh, a national right. community, because it's almost as if the truth doesn't matter. And there's a danger there. If we have, there's, there's always going to be differences of opinion, and there's always going to be gray areas where people can interpret things slightly different. But we can't have totally two different worlds of opinion. When it comes to is if a banana is yellow or not, right? You know, it's almost at that point now where, where, where there's nothing that we can agree to that are benchline, baseline truths, because of this phenomenon where people are so thirsty and competitive for clicks, views, hits on a computer, and it's really hurting the game and it's hurting the kids. Because some of these kids early on might be worthy of attention, but the basketball thing, like life is a marathon, not a sprint. And the, the, all, of, all of these guys are going to be passed up by the Damon Lillards and the Russell Westbrooks and the yeah. Paul George and the Steph Currys. And you're going to have basically childhood actor or actress syndrome here, like the Gary Coleman's of the world, where these kids – 
their careers will be done at the age of 25 yeah. or 22. And the, the psychological, emotional damage that's going to cause them over adults exploiting them shamelessly in many cases for clicks and views is, is something that, that has to be addressed. Absolutely. That's why I appreciate guys like, uh, like, like our good friend, AC, Beach City Hoops, who I know is out there helping. I mean, he just put on a unsigned senior event, you know, and he's, he's in there in that uh, highlight mix realm. And he, yeah, I know for a fact he's out there for the right reasons um, because he actually cares about the kids, not just because he's trying to improve Yeah, I just saw clicks. him. He was at my league last My pang was best with SoCal League last night. I saw him out there. Again, yeah, he's, he's trying to obviously find his niche. And he's a former player and a former member of our, you know, Southern California basketball community that played college basketball. Mm-hmm. And I think he, he enjoys what he's doing. But he also, like you said, I think he really cares about helping other kids that were like him and has done a very good job doing so. Absolutely. Um, I want, I want to talk a little bit about as we, as we kind of wrap things up here, um, what, what you're making of a guy like, like a, like Trey young, who, who went to your camp, you know, went to your Pangos camp, got MVP, um, and it's just content continually been slept on. Like just from feel like just from day one, been slept on. And here he is up three, two, in the second round of Eastern Conference playoffs and has a chance to make it to a Eastern Conference Finals. I just want to know, you know, from you seeing Trey at a younger age, um, what, what are you making of what he's been able to do with Atlanta? Well, the one thing with Trey, too, is obviously it comes from a foundation of a family or community foundation. His family is a oh, tremendous, yeah. as to meet Dad Ray and mom and family, Tremendous family, great people, and um, that's number one. Obviously, not everybody is lucky uh, to have that foundation. That's why it's important that, as a basketball community, that we, you know, support other people other than our own when when we can and we're able to, for that same reason. Um, because not everybody's fortunate to have uh, a ideal family situation, but. Looking back on it, I I met Trey Young as ninth or tenth grade, and the one thing that he never was lacking was confidence in himself, and, and the fact the, the 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 ability to believe in yourself, even when nobody else does, I think is one of his hallmark traits, and one of the harm hallmark traits of a lot of great successful people. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants a slap on the back. Everybody likes to have an acknowledgement of, of what they've done. That's good. But sometimes you, know, you, you, when you don't get that, do you, does that lack of acknowledgement, that lack of a slap on the back, does it affect how you move going forward? Does it affect your progress? Does it affect your goals? And Trey has proven to that he's always played with, you know, that confidence, uh, although he's not that big, he's not as athletic as other players. He just has that can-do mentality, and he's been able to develop a, you know, a, a shot that 
you know, border borderlines the Steph Curry range on a shot. And sometimes when you're smaller than that, you have to find ways to adapt, meaning you're not going to get shots within 18 feet of the cup without being contested. If you're at a disadvantage size-wise, you're going to have trouble getting it off. Mm. That's why when you look at Steph, I'm not comparing Trey Young to Steph yet, but Trey and Steph, those guys, very obvious that their extension of their range had something to do with their need to get the shot off. And you're going to be less contested at 25 feet than you are at 20. Mm-hmm. You're going to be less contested at, 50, at 20 feet than you are at 15. You follow me? Yep, absolutely. And them developing that range where they could get their shot off is a byproduct of that, you know, dynamic right there where they had to extend the range to get their shot off and to be effective. And they did it in a way that was highly accurate as we've come to come to acknowledge and, and um, appreciate the last several years, except Curry's phenomenal. I mean, the way, way he gets shots off and it just, there's a certain confidence level. It's not just with those guys with Westbrook, even going back further, Gilbert Arenas. Mm-hmm. Gilbert is kind of a, a of a free spirit, wild bird. But he, even you, know, you look back at guys in high school, and you've had a chance to kind of follow their career. You you tend to see things there that that existed before they got to the NBA, mm-hmm. and the, conf, the confidence is and the mental approach is one huge part of the whole thing. There's a lot of guys that are talented, a lot of guys that are athletic. But when you have confidence and you have heart, you have belief in yourself, um, that goes a long way into, into, into producing success, successful results. You heard it right here, guys, straight from the man himself. Confidence, believe in yourself, and develop a 25-foot jumper. <laughs> and get some range. Uh, that 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 that's it right there. It's the way the game is moving. But um, Dino's, I want to thank you so much for your time and and uh, um, you being on here. I know you got you got a lot going on right now. And uh, uh, why don't you uh, uh, let let my listeners know um, what you have going on, what events they can catch, um, and also where they could find you on social. Well, I got um, seems like an event every week twice a week in July here. So you go to full court press website, F U L C T press.net full CT press.net for the latest in, in uh, full court press and pangos events. Uh, my Twitter is at my last name, Trigonus three zero Trigonus three zero T R I G O N I S three zero is the Twitter. Um, my Instagram, which I'm not as active on as Twitter is my full name, Dino Stragonis, at Dino Stragonis Instagram, if for those guys who like the IG. And um, looking forward to getting back on track this summer. We just had the Pangos camp uh, a week or so ago, and it was nice to have, feel that buzz again. It was nice to have mm. those guys in the gym and to feel, feel the sweat, feel the electricity, feel the, feel the, uh, the NBA teams and the college scouts watching guys play. You can feel the kids really enjoying it and looking forward to get, getting back to that. Awesome. I love it. Once again, Dinos Trigonis, uh, thank you so much for coming on.
appreciate your time. That'll do it for episode 21. Thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to rate and leave a review. Subscribe if you like the show. If you want more info about future shows or just want to interact, follow me on social at Bryce Broadcast on Twitter and Instagram. Give Dinos a follow as well. Once again, thank you all and until next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube